myself out. I am afraid of I'm terrified and paralyzed by I am deathly afraid of Welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast with your host, me, Ryan Perio. Hello, and welcome to the Sum of All Fears podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Perio. This week marks one year of my podcast being on Spotify and all anywhere you listen to podcasts. This time of Labor Day a year ago, I was releasing three episodes. David Jessup, Madeline Tighe, and Ruth Banks. And since then, we have released 52 more episodes once a week. Thanks to those who have been a guest and to Sarah and all of her assistants with the live shows that we've done. Um, and more to come. I'm excited to keep this going. This week, though, to mark my one-year anniversary is Marty McEwen. Marty is a therapist in the Seattle area who also dabbles in jazz singing. When she went to sing for her for jazz and to just sing in general, she realized she had stage fright. Very common fear. One of the biggest fears we have. Something as a comic and on stage performer myself, I can relate to. In this episode, we talk about stage fright, both of us, like from the comedy side as well as the singer side. And then we get into her stage fright cure. We talk about that as well. So let's get into my interview about stage fright with Marty McEwen. All right, my guest tonight is therapist and author and the cure finder for stage fright, Marty McElwain. How are you doing, Marty? Or is it McEwen? McEwen. I'm doing great. Thanks, Ryan. Well, I'm glad. When you hit me up, I, I, I was wondering where you've been all my life because I've been doing comedy for 15 years, and when I started... I would say the first two years of my comedy career was just me m completely in an all-out war with stage fright. Gosh, yeah, that's suffering there, isn't it? It really is, but it I will say I carry it with a badge because that's how bad I wanted to do stand-up, is that I was willing to go through that because so many people, that's a first step that very few people sometimes take. It's It's the number one fear of everyone which is in surprising that you're the first one so far that's come come across with that fear well you know 15 years ago when you were getting over your fear of, of comedy i was getting over my fear of singing and i can tell you it was very similar just the being in a really uh fearful place all the time about it but being so desirous you know so wanting to sing so badly that i pushed through it like you did with your comedy and found ways to get over it get so comfortable right yes so how do so what so where did the singing desire come from has it just been a lifelong thing like have you always just been kind of someone that's kind of sang around the house and people have been entertained you know, I, no no <laughs> I didn't grow up with music, for one thing. I was we didn't grow up with music in the household. Um, it was just you, you know, people who do people who sing are cool. 
right? <laughs> I'm sure you, the people who do comedy are cool, right? And uh, it, and I also always love to sing, just mm-hmm. you know, just around the house, like you said. But um, I don't know exactly where it came from. This really, really strong desire to sing. Um, I think I think it also had to do, if you want to get right down to it, was a a desire to to self express, to mm-hmm. be self expressive. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, instead of being in the background all the time, and uh, so the, the, I think all for me about that was singing. But I, maybe I was a singer in a past life too. I don't know. But it really was a strong desire. That's how it kind of was for comedy. I I lost everything that I had worked for for so long, and. <clears throat> I just had a long soul searching thing and that was one thing I'd always wanted to try. And I was like, well, let's try to make it a career. And maybe it's not a career at this point, 15 years later, like I approached it initially as this is going to be what I do for the rest of my life. So that's how I, I studied it and attacked it. And it's like you, I feel like there's an innate desire to self-express. And when you do get that initial, I guess, confirmation or you know acceptance from a crowd with applause and that the what's the word i'm looking for verification or justification Uh that you're on the right path because you've you've entertained a crowd of people yeah that just is what kind of kept me going that's awesome that's it was it's a was really a strong motivation for you to to get through all that fear you were feeling at the beginning and all the insecurity Yes. The same as for me with singing. I the first time I had a singing lesson, the teacher asked me to sing her something. It was just her and me, mm-hmm. and I I couldn't get a sound out. It, I, I was completely overtaken with fear, to the point where I couldn't even get a sound out. Um, fine, you know. Eventually, I squeaked something out, but it, it was really um a really strong involuntary response to something I both wanted really badly and was afraid I wouldn't be able to do. And and I think too, I'm afraid that I was going to embarrass myself by being so bad at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have a good, you don't have a good barometer for like anything, you know, anything you do. Cause you've only heard your voice almost like your inner monologue your whole life. You've never really, it's weird, like how different your voice sounds when you hear a recording of it versus when you're just talking. It's like you can your inner monologue has a totally different voice from what the outer monologue that is captured is. Yes, yes, and also with singing, I don't know if it's true for you with your comedy, but every microphone, every different environment, right? The different uh, instruments behind you. How big the room is, how how in, how how the sound is, makes your set voice sound different to yourself. And so, unless you have a monitor coming at you, it you're just like sending this sound out and hoping that it's <laughs> hoping that it sounds okay to somebody. <laughs> yeah, hoping you you're being heard. They had. Now hoping you're being heard and people are appreciating it or enjoying it or whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of times where there was n- there was no enjoyment, and it's it's really interesting what I've learned from just going up over and over, and that mm-hmm. you're kind of a stewardess, if you will. Like that's how I've always equated it, is you've when you're on a plane, a stewardess is always smiling, and that's to have you reflect a smile back. 
And so mm-hmm. when you're on stage, you're kind of that stewardess. So they take cues from you, the audience, by That's how really you are. So if you're uncomfortable, then they immediately reflect that same uncomfortableness back at you, which makes it oh so much worse. But that's how I've always been able to describe it is that I'm kind of leading here. And even though I I don't feel like I should lead, if I don't give them the impression that I am the leader, Mm -hmm. they're going to they're going to sense it right away. And it's going to be a long, uncomfortable conversation. That is really, really good. Can I borrow that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what I what I say about it is the audience wants to know they're in good hands with you. So, yeah, the same feeling. It's the same feeling of they want you to be a capable leader of what it is we're going to experience here together, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not, a, a, if you're not uh, the person who's, whose hands are good to be in, I guess would be yeah. a about way of saying it then they don't they feel insecure they don't know where we're going they're they're you know off off the mark so so your your stewardess idea is such a good one and actually a lot of times what i do is help people understand that they they're they're offering people something like a stewardess to take your metaphor Mm Um, like a stewardess offers a drink or food or would you like this or would you like that? You know, it's that it's kind of like that hostess feeling or mm-hmm. host feeling um, like you're having a party and you welcome people in and make sure they're comfortable. And you know what I mean? So yeah. you're you're the arranger of things, just like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so you started you started this journey 15 years ago when you were doing you decided I guess you had an opportunity to sing at a jazz. Like, I don't, how did you get that opportunity? Is it just somebody that you're friends with? that was a musician that said, Hey, well, I started taking voice lessons. That's when I, my first voice lesson was when I had that panic attack meltdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and really un, unknown to me was this conflict inside about me try, even trying to be a singer, even like I couldn't for the, for a long time, even, get the words I'm a singer out of my mouth right because I I wanted it so badly but it was it, it was a conflict within like how do I have the audacity to say something like that it would be like you saying yeah I'm a comedian mm-hmm. right and I'm a I'm well well I'm kind of well, yeah. well I'm trying <laughs> so that was about 15 years ago but in Seattle, there's a really strong vocal jazz community, which unfortunately has not been active for the last year, of course, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a wonderful opportunity for people who just want to be amateur jazz singers to go out with other people, other vocalists and, and jam. And in these vocal jams, the there's a piano, bass and drums that are hired to, to uh, play at them. And it's kind of like live jazz karaoke. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. So there was there was a lot of opportunity to um, to sing in front of people without having to book gigs. I mean, later on, I booked some gigs, but uh, but at first it was just having the guts to get up in front of a crowd of other singers, which maybe was even harder than if they hadn't been other singers, and uh, and learn. 
I was going to say it may be harder for you, but at the same time, they've also struggled with that. So they probably, they're also a little bit more sympathetic too. It's, I would think because mm-hmm. it's like, they know what it takes to get up there and to, tr- to give this like an attempt. Yeah. 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 Actually in Seattle, evidently, this is the word on the street that from a friend of mine who has lived in Atlanta and in other in New York and other cities, we're really nice here to our amateur, <laughs> to our amateur jazz singers. <laughs> Evidently in other cities, it's like, nope, if you don't have it, give them the hook. We don't want to hear from you if you're not really good, which is kind of unfortunate because the, the jazz community in Seattle is a, a, a place to grow into being a good jazz singer, right? Yeah. Rather than having to be a good jazz singer already before you even get up on the stage. I just feel like it just takes the joy out of it. Sometimes, I mean, maybe people, you know, maybe it's not cut out for everyone to be a career, but I don't, I don't agree with the, with the notion that if you don't have it, that you, you shouldn't be able to sing. Yeah. You should sit down or, or if you're comedy, I mean, yeah, the same, absolutely same. You get good by doing it. Uh, One teacher of mine along the way said, Marty, you get good by gigging. Yes. You know? You just book a gig and you go on sing and, you know, you're not going to be as good as you will the next time. Mm -hmm. So that was really helpful for him him to say that. So what got you into therapy as far as since you've been a therapist, you've been a therapist longer than you've been a singer? Much longer. Um, I I was started as a therapist right out of graduate school in my 20s. So Mm -hmm. um, um, it was something that. I think psychology and personal growth and all of that was something was fascinated, fascinating to me from a kid in terms of how people tick, you know, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are fascinated by how we tick, what makes us who we are. And I think that carried over into a profession that I've just been very happy in. But along the way, I mean, relevant to the stage fright thing, along the way, I learned some techniques that I used in, use in my office. Um, called energy psychology. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Have what it is, is instead of just talking through your problems or whatever, it actually uses the acupuncture system. Okay. You know about acupuncture kind of? Yeah. Um, it uses the acupuncture system and other subtle energy parts of our, our, our systems to physically dismantle that fight, flight, or freeze response. And when I started using it, I started using energy psychology techniques like in 96, long time ago, 25 years or so. And uh, would would help people using energy psychology to get over phobias and get over anxiety and get over uh, traumatic experiences in their lives and, and calm anger responses and all kinds of like negative arousal experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, energy psychology techniques are really effective for and so I was really well versed in energy psychology when I took that first voice lesson. <laughs> yeah, but, but it didn't occur to me to use those same techniques with my own fear of singing until, gosh, months after I started learning to sing. But once I started doing that, I started to realize how effective it was to help me calm down with singing and then started working with uh, with uh, performers and speakers and business people and anybody who has to get up in front of anybody and do anything. Yeah. No. But I totally get that because when you, when you first go through like your first few bouts of stage fright, mm-hmm. it's all encompassing. 
Like it's not a, it's not a fear that you can you can try to think about, you know, what can I do right now? It is such a gripping anxiety mm-hmm. that all you can think about is, oh my god, oh my god. It's like it's it's almost it's almost attacks you to where I what I call the lizard brain, which is like your baser your baser animal instincts, like you said, the fight, flight, or freeze, which are you know so far down the chain that you can't logically you know, in a, in a moment's notice, just kind of access those. So it's, mm-hmm. I could totally understand why at, at first when, you know, you're singing lessons, all you can think is, oh my gosh, here comes a singing lesson. And then when you're done, like, I can't believe I just, I can't believe I did that at the lesson. It's such a, it's almost such a self-involved fear. Like you just micromanage every little thing that either went on, or perceive that went on. Like some of it may not even happen, but in your mind, that's you've mm-hmm. created this whole scenario of, oh, they'll never want me back. That was probably the worst thing I've done. And I don't know how I'm going to survive. Yeah. How can I show my face here again? How can I come back here next week? Yes. How can I show my face again? Exactly. Boy, you know, you're right on the money. And I love the word that you chose, all encompassing, you know, uh, and, and, and completely involving. I mean, that it, it, at its worst, to stage fright is so, it, it fills you up so completely that you, that's when you start, you can't remember the lyrics or you can't remember the next joke you were going to tell or you can't remember, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, and uh, and then the fear of the fear kicks in. So I remember I don't know if you had this experience when in your early days, but um, I would book a gig, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd get all, all prepared and it's all good. Hire the musicians, everything is fine. And then about two or three days beforehand, I would think, why why did I sign up for this? Why did I do this? Why do I keep doing? Why do I keep doing this to myself, putting myself in this position? And uh, and finally I figured out, as I said, with these energy psychology techniques, which now I use something called called the rapid relief process mm-hmm. that I teach in a class to help people with any kind of upset. But now I'm not afraid. Of, I, if I booked a gig, I'd book a gig and then it would, like this, you know, it would happen and it'd be fine. There wouldn't yep. be that wouldn't be that same body reaction to the idea of performing in some way um but boy do you remember that oh yeah oh god did i sign up for this (laughs) it's i wouldn't say it was the sign up it was just i was always the optimist and like you know and i would put so much emphasis as what i would i guess i could call it on or you know i put a lot of value on success and when that success wasn't met, I would be so disheartened. So I would come into it like, okay, this is this time I'm going to change it. I know, I know what I I need to do. Today is when I when I take back, and it would just all go sideways. And it's the longer I did it, just the less expectations I had as far as like, and it it just kind of opened me up to to say to myself, well, maybe, you know, it's not something that you're just going to immediately master, that you're going to, that you're just going to one day flip a switch and be some sort of comedy pro. And so mm-hmm. I, I started, I just started with small little goals of, you know, let's not look at the floor today. At first I would look the floor for maybe 10, 
like 10 out of the 12 minutes I was on stage, I would be down at the ground. I'm like, okay, let's try to limit to five times looking at the ground. And then I would just slowly work my way to where I didn't look at the ground at all. That is really cool. And, you, and you know, in my language, just to take what you're saying and translate it into, what, into, into how I formulate it in my own mind is that the higher the stakes and the lower the safety, mm-hmm. then the more likely it is you're going to get overcome with stage fright, right? So what you did there, which was brilliant, I don't know that you knew that you were doing it, but, but it was brilliant, was to bring the stakes down. Like, I don't have to be the be-all and end-all stand-up comedian today. I can just not look at the floor as much as I did the last time. And that's a success. Yeah. Which takes the pressure and the stakes down tremendously. And it also creates more safety for yourself because that's, that's not so hard to do. And uh, so that was brilliant on your part. Well, not so hard to do it in in, in theory, but it, it still took a few times to kind of pace myself out and to kind of see the progress. And then, you know, I just I was OK with going last every open mic. I was OK with people, you know, with I was OK with the perception that maybe I'm the worst comic in this city. I was like, well, maybe I am, you know, maybe I am. But, you know, I just enjoy doing it. So I'll, I'll work as hard as I can, but I'll just try to work where I'm yeah. not in everybody else's way. That's very good. Give yourself el- some elbow room, as you say, to loosen up and yeah. start, and then start to build from where you are rather than expect yourself to be someplace you're not mm-hmm. and be disappointed every time. And that's a, a, another muscle I think I developed from stage fright, which is going up at the end of the night in an empty room, was that I, I got okay with silence is what I would be Oh, the the silence isn't so bad, you know. And so then, when I was in a full room, and mm-hmm. I got silence from a full room versus an empty room, I didn't have that that shock to the system that you know, oh, this is going badly. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm just still going at my own pace. And so, you, that's one thing I tell comics when they're new is when you go up at the end of the night, you're learning a skill called being comfortable with no one laughing. Because if you only go up in front of people and they laugh, when they don't laugh, it's going to it's going to it's going to create a fighter like your your fight or flight response. Something. Oh no, I'm falling down a cliff yeah. or something. Uh huh. And if you can't be confident enough to say it's it's fine, then they're not going to be comfortable enough, and everything's going every. It's just a pressure cooker. Every all the bolts are going to pop off and. It's uh-huh. going, it's just going to devolve and you're going to, you know, get nervous and forget your lines and they're going to be ner- uncomfortable and not laughing. Yeah. Oh no, I'm going to bomb or I'm bombing. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So when, when I, when I work with people, the stage fright cure, just kind of to weave it in with what you're saying here, the, the first thing we, we just did in our conversation, which is to get objective about what it really is which is a, it's a triggered response that likely comes from earlier in your life in some way, not necessarily big trauma, but some kind of, some kind of early response. And then it does in fact trigger the lizard brain, not quite the lizard brain, but, but the, the, the amygdala in the midbrain, mm-hmm. which is the arbiter of fear, right? So your amygdala goes, Oh God, it's, it's this is scary. This is threatening. Mm-hmm. 
And then the amygdala sends down the harm, sends the hormonal messages into your body that it needs to go into that fight, flight, or freeze response. And all of the mental and all the physical and all the, uh, you know, the emotional uh, um, symptoms of stage fright come from that. It's the amygdala in the brain that thinks you're in a threatening situation when really you're not. So what you did was the second part of a stage fright cure, which is to create as much safety and as little uh, stakes or threat as you can in the situation by thinking about it differently or approaching it differently. And you just mentioned some beautiful ones like go last so you can get used to people not laughing because there's hardly anybody out there to laugh, right? Mm -hmm. And then that will get your amygdala to calm down. So then you don't have as much of that fight, flight, or freeze response. The energy work comes from, I mean, the, the next part of the stage fright cure is to work with your energy so that the electromagnetic, if you will, or bioelectric arousal doesn't happen in the face of the same kind of triggers, like nobody laughing, for instance, for you, or getting up to sing in the first place, Yeah, for me. And also to clear up the emotional, psychological, energetic reaction to the past events that caused the stage fright in the first place, that insecurity in the first place. When you do all those things, then your body is just not interested in triggering off. I was gonna say it's it's such a it's such a it's such a different feeling because I don't I never I don't feel any different like from when I still go up like there's still there to me there's still anxiety and I and I and I get that and I'm like you know as soon as I tell my first joke though and I get that first laugh autopilot on where where it's immediately I'm in go mode I don't I don't. I don't seize up as soon as I get that first laugh or that first response. And I don't know if, when you're singing, if they had like, you know, no, because people don't respond until the end. Yeah. Right. Or they don't respond at least in jazz. They don't respond until the end of one section. And then you yeah. sit and maybe pass it on to the other musicians or whatever. So the audience will clap for each yeah. section, but, uh, but it's not the same as getting that immediate ping yeah. that you're talking about. You kind of hang out, have to hang out there with the, you know, the silence a little bit longer with singing. See, that's to be the worst is the silence because it's such an indifferent response. It's neither pot, it's neither positive nor negative. It's a, it's a suspense oh. that you're forever kept in until you get your gratification or reassurance. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that public speakers often are afraid of. That trigger. I shouldn't say it's are afraid of, but that triggers their fear is the lack of facial response. And, and the amygdala, interestingly enough, is very sensitive to faces. The amygdala, um, you know, when we're little, we want to know that mommy's happy with us or daddy's happy with us or the kids like us or, you, you know, whatever it is, That because that, that's, a, that's a safe response. And often we read that in faces. So several times I've had clients that have had what, what they call a blank face fear that is that uncertainty, you know, Yes. that you, you don't know what anybody's thinking about what you're saying. You don't know what anybody's thinking about your singing. You don't know what anybody's thinking about the joke you just told, right? And that can be very scary. Can, that can be a common um, trigger for people's stage fright is that blank 
no no response state. So when you started doing these tactics, when did you mm -hmm. kind of, how long after you started those tactics did you kind of fine tune it to where it's the program it is now? Like, did you, mm -hmm. did you have to change any of the order of some of this stuff? Or? Yeah, I had to think it through mm -hmm. because I, the energy work is a big piece. The, the, the uh, rapid relief process and energy psychology techniques are a big piece of the stage fright cure. And that's where I started. I, I went, wait a minute, I could do those same techniques on myself as I'm doing with my clients. And, and it's something you can do for yourself too. So not long after, maybe a few months after I started taking voice lessons, I went, wait a minute, why don't I just try that? So uh, I sat myself down in my own office, <laughs> in my own chair, and I realized that there was a very embarrassing incident that happened to me in grade school that I had hooked up with my own self-concept about how cool I was or how cool I wasn't or, you know, and I, I was an embarrassing thing where everybody laughed. I won't go into the whole story. Everybody laughed. And I felt like the brunt of the joke, you know, I felt like the fool, the buffoon. And even while I remembered that incident that had happened so long earlier, I could still feel that kind of icky sort of, oh God, that, you know, mm -hmm. feeling. And so I used these techniques until I didn't have any emotional reaction to that memory anymore, that particular memory. Wow. And, and by golly, the next time I had a re re recital or something, I'd, I had about half of the sweating and the shakes and the whatever. And I thought, gosh, that's really interesting. So I started to do more of that with myself and got more and more comfortable and more and more present, you know, more and more present instead of off into fear about myself. Um, so I, that's when I started to experiment with other people with the same kinds of techniques to help them calm down. The full-blown four-step process of the stage fright cure that does involve the rapid relief process, which is an energetic component, really only got formulated in my mind a few years later when somebody said, you should write a book. And so you, when you write a book, you kind of have to figure out what you think is really involved in getting over stage fright. In the process of writing the book is where I came up with that first you have to be objective about it. You can't just be overcome to the point where, where it's just so irrational and you don't have any idea where it came from or why you have it or what was ha what's happening in your body. If you're not objective about it like you would be if you had a stomach ache or a pain in your thumb or something. Getting objective is the first thing and then creating safety. That's the second thing, like you were talking about the bringing down the, the, the threat in the situation, the stakes, the expectation that you had on yourself, um, going last at a jam, things like that. The practical strategies and the mental strategies that help your amygdala feel safer and then dismantling the associations that you have with the events or the self-concept or the beliefs that got you there in the first place. And then you can also use the rapid relief process or the energy work to amplify that confident feeling, the opposite feeling. So the whole program, as you, uh, as you asked me about, kind of got formulated because I had to sit down and think it through. 
and think, okay, what do people need to do in order to really get over their stage fright or their fear of any kind of warming? That's how it all came about. Because I was just thinking to myself as a therapist, you may have just jumped yourself into like stage three or four because you already kind of had a grasp of one and two. And so it, I would just thought it would be, you know, just interesting, just kind of the scientific approach of, okay, which, which, where should I start? How do we get to this point? And it, so it was a process of writing the book, but it was also a process of thinking through the process. So when I work with somebody that on, on an individual level, I can, there's four, I call them elements to the stage fright cure rather mm-hmm. than step, because it's not just for one, two, three, yeah. four step. It's just all of those elements have to be there. Um, and I'll work individually with whatever happens to be going on inside of each individual person, mm-hmm. but with that framework right where did where did it come from how can we create safety what do we need to dismantle energetically the response that associate the the uh associations and the responses and and what do we need to beef up in terms of uh confidence i had a really fun session with a young woman who was going for a job interview and she was really scared of going on this job interview and when we first started the session, she was talking like this and she was kind of, you know, she was nervous and she didn't know what, what she going to do. And by the time we did a lot, some energy work and some physical energy and the energy work is physical. It's not strenuous and it's not like pumping iron or anything, but it, it's, it is a physical thing that people do. And so it's not thinking your way out of, just like you were saying, you can't, think your way out of it because you're just physically overtaken by it. So the intervention is actually something you do physically, but it intervenes with your energy. And by the time we were done with the session, she was sitting up and she was like, you know, she, she, and she was a Spanish speaker. So her English was more fluent at the end of the session. It's from the beginning, just from doing this particular exercise. And it was just a delight. It was so fun. So then she went for her interview that that afternoon, she emailed me and said she nailed the interview. I don't know if she got the job yet, but she nailed the interview. So that but that's fun. awesome. I mean, but if you can nail that interview, even if you don't get that job, you know, okay, uh-huh. there's only, it, it wasn't the interview that caused you to get not get that job. It's either somebody else had more skills or something, because if you nailed that interview, then, you know, that's just... You, you, there's no more you can do other than to nail the next interview with the next company. And that's right. And that, that's this, that's that, what they say, transferable skill too. like that. The, her, the, her ability to be in that grounded, open, solid, generous place. I, I, the word generous is one of my favorites. So it's like the, it's like the stewardess or, um, I guess we should change it to flight attendant rather than stewardess maybe, but <laughs> these days, but anyway, it's that mentality you were talking about earlier and that ability to plug into that place is going to put her in good stead in interviews, in leading a meeting, in uh, all kinds of different situations besides just interviews. So mm-hmm. it's a big deal to yeah. be able to do that. Well, Marty, I thank you for doing this. It's been a great conversation. Where can people find you on social media and all the, uh, if they wanted to maybe either look you up if they're in the Seattle area, 
They want to hear you sing. <laughs> well, they're not going to hear me sing for a while because there's no singing going on for a while. But uh, but maybe someday again. I my website is stagefright.com. So you can find out all about it at stagefright.com. And if they go to rapidrelief.com and find out about this class I've been talking about, it's a two and a half hour class that teaches the rapid relief process. Um, and it isn't just for stage fright. It's for anything that is stressful or distressing in your life. A lot of people do come because they have some kind of performance fears because of that's my specialty, but they also find real relief from relationship conflicts, work things that are going on, you know, upsetting whatever is going on in their life. That's not necessarily about performing. So stagefright.com. And if people go there, there's actually a drop down that will take them to that class or they can go directly to the class at rapidrelief.com. Well, I thank you again for doing this. I hope, hopefully Seattle opens up again soon and you guys can get back to, to singing and you have y'all not done any, could you sing over zoom? Like maybe y'all could like do a zoom jazz. Actually, that's a good idea. I don't know where I have to look it up, see if some, some uh, jams are going on. Well, and good luck with your comedy. Where can we see you? You can see me at Ryan Perio. And uh, I have a couple clips on YouTube. Uh, I have Instagram and I can send you some clips after the, in Facebook messenger. I would love that. That'd be a lot of fun. But I can show you the before, like when I was still stage Friday. Like I have a couple of those up because it's it's you kind of I kind of have them up on a different site just to show how far I've come. Just because it's like they're little they're little victories in my life, so I've kind of kept them online, mm -hmm. but not in the same as my professional stuff because it's like I don't want them to see that. They're on YouTube or at, are they on the your website? They're on YouTube. You can get to the YouTube from my website, which is ryanperio.com. But I'll send you some of the old ones where I was still suffering from stage fright and you can kind of see me. I love it. Well, thanks so much again, Marty. You're welcome. Thank you, Ryan. So that was Marty. And talk about just sharing war stories of just stage fright and being overcome with stage fright. It's one of the biggest fears out there. It's probably a bigger fear than death, and there's there's good reasons for it. You're in charge. You are, you know, it's your creation that's up there, and it's really hard to put into words and to to be a leader sometimes. And I can feel it. I feel anxiety all the time. Um, I'm sure, you know, it affects everyone. So check out Marty McEwen and her cure for stage fright if you are somebody that does a lot of speaking and wants to kind of conquer that fear. Her exercises are really fantastic and life-changing. Check her out at um, stagefright.com. Very straightforward website. Like She is awesome, and she does a great job with, her, with discussing stage fright and just being open and honest about it and helping people with any kind of speaking, like fear and phobia, to kind of make your way through it i thank you guys for listening it's been a year um i've been doing my best to make sure an episode gets out every week i'll continue to do that 
check out, you know, leave a review. Um, that'd be a great year anniversary gift is if you leave a review on P- Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps with the visibility of the show. Also, you know, check out, um, I'll be featuring in Fort Worth with Liz Mail on Friday and Saturday, the 17th and 18th of September, as well as Sunday in Dallas. So come check out those shows. It'll be great. Shyan Jahani will be my MC. We'll have a great time. Also, you know, thanks to all the people that came out to the Comedy Arena in McKinney this last weekend. It was fantastic watching some of these people that I know and care about take strides in their comedic journey. was really en- enjoyable to watch just in, to see them, you know, take on a new challenge and then rise to it and, you know, conquer it almost is, is just reward, a rewarding feeling. And so I'm super proud of both Mallory and Stephen Gamble for doing an amazing job at hosting and featuring for me. I have shows coming up. I have private events coming up. I have some shows at Hyenas, and I also have a show in Midland, Texas, which will be a fun show with James Johan, who I feature with in Wichita. So we should have a great time in Midland, Texas. And with that... That's all that's going on. I thank you guys for listening. It's got some we got we've had some amazing shows. I got some interviews coming up tomorrow. So we'll keep this going. I love you guys. I thank you all for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Some of All Fears podcast. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh2o. Get it? H2O like water. You can also follow him on Facebook. Music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olson for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns. That's G-U-N-B-U-N-S. As well as his website, gunnarolson.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, Some of All Fears. Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at Some Fear Fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at somefearfans, S-O-M-E-F-E-A-R-F-A-N-S, at gmail.com. I'll be happy to, to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me... On social media, I am at Ryan Perio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O. On all social media platforms, you can follow me there. And you can check me out at ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a, in a holding pattern. 
Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.